Hello and welcome to Making It, the podcast about making theatre and making it as an artist. I'm your host, Tammy Wilkie, and each week I'll be chatting to an emerging playwright, theatre maker or theatre company about how they make theatre, why they make theatre and what they do to survive. I feel really privileged to welcome Rash Dash to this podcast. They're a prolific feminist theatre company that creates shows that I think rip up the rule books and dance ecstatically over their remains. Rash Dash was formed by Abby Greenland and Helen Golan in 2009. And after working with the company on several shows, Becky Wilkie joined the core company in 2017. I first came across their work when they were performing Two Man Show, which I was desperate to see and kept eluding me. It was really stressful. Um, (laughs) But I finally caught their adaptation of Three Sisters at the Yard last year, and I was absolutely blown away. It was so powerful and so playful and so punk. And I also just don't really have the words to contain the experience because I left feeling like my whole body was inspired and that I could roar and sing and make shit like I never could before. And I think it's really rare to speak to people who make theatre that leaves you feeling invigorated and empowered and alive. So I am so, so thrilled to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Thank, Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. <laughs> You're welcome. We're all just sitting here beaming. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. It's like, yeah. Delighted to have you. I think it might be good um, just to start off, maybe if you could introduce yourself so that our listeners can get used to each voice. So I'm Helen. I'm Abby. And I'm Becky. Amazing. Um, my first question for you is like, how you all met? Mm. Well, although me and Abby founded the company, Abby and Becky actually met first. Oh my God. We went to high school together. <laughs> Sometimes you find those collaborations real early. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so me and Becky grew up in Suffolk in a little village called Holbrook mm-hmm. and we went to high school together so we met when we were 11-ish yeah but we weren't really friends we weren't, <laughs> we weren't, we weren't in the same gang at school right and then Abby was cool. <laughs> and then when we got to 15 we yeah. started to like hang out yeah and revise together that's right you know. French <laughs> cool dudes cool dudes yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then me and Helen met at university we went to Hull together mm. and I think I think when I, I first met Helen, I thought, I like the way she moves. I really want to work with her. And I kind of had my eyes on her. Oh, creepy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, I had my eyes on you too. Yeah. Don't worry. But I remember, we've <laughs> talked about this before, but yeah. there was a particular time where we were in a um, first year practical seminar together. What so did you study? Drama. Okay. And uh, we came into this massive studio and Helen took off her boots and the way she sat down, I was like, I like how she sits down. (laughs) (laughs) I want want to move with that person. Uh Um, And I hadn't done loads and loads of moving. I just was really drawn to, just really drawn to you. But we were friends first before Uh we started working together. Um, And then, and yeah, and, and then our sort of work and friendship started to to blur I guess because mm. we would sing quite a lot together and dance a lot mm. together like out and <laughs> then and then yeah we just we just made our first show together mm. um like in our second year of uni mm-hmm. um after having been to the fringe with the project that was quite disastrous <laughs> sorry to anyone that was involved in that project in case you're listening but it was something that we directed but it it just wasn't very good and we kind of went okay what do we want to do as performers and, and how could we make something that's like just the two of us and what would that be? So it was you two co-directing something that other people performed? Yes, yes. and it wasn't that they were bad performers at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they, were, they were all excellent performers and some mm. of them are performers, but it was just that we couldn't work out from the outside what right. we wanted to make. We had to get into the inside to mm-hmm. work out what we wanted to make and right. I think that's 
that's a pattern that's gone on through our whole yeah. lives, like being on the inside and being on the outside, how that feels and how you work out what you want to make and how you feel about what you're making from either position. Mm. Um, yeah, that still feels very similar, doesn't it? Like we have, yeah, we have made some shows where we've directed but the relationship has felt very different and mm. none of those shows have actually been a rash dash show. Yeah. So, so far a rash dash show means that we are in it and, mm. and making from the inside. That's so cool. And then Helen and Becky met when I introduced them. I think I'd been, Becky had a high school band and that's how I knew she was brilliant. Mm. <laughs> and then, and I had a CD for making eyes at Elvis and I played it all the time in the kitchen. So Helen mm. knew all of Becky's music before I introduced her. Is that the name of the band? That was the name of her band. Well, can you school. say it again? What was no. it called? <laughs> <laughs> Making Eyes at Elvis. <laughs> we were called Charlie Brown for a while and yeah. then realised that was going to be a copyright nightmare. <laughs> um, so we changed it. But, you know, it, it, was a, it was a teenage band. It didn't, it didn't go any further than But it was 17. great music. I but still it was really exciting. In, a, in Suffolk. In, a, yeah, in Ipswich, we were a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it was our first Edinburgh show that Becky got involved in because we'd made a couple by that point uh-huh. and particularly in the second one that we made we really wanted to sing but we knew that we needed a composer right. and, and musician to really make that possible like we were doing little bits and pieces but yeah it needed someone who was like that is their thing that they do mm. so yeah so then Abby played me all of Becky's stuff and I was like yes please let's bring her and on so you board. came on board as like a composer slash musical director yeah sort of, and yeah. very much not uh, knowing anything about theatre mm. and feeling. I was doing English literature at Bristol at the mm. time and knew that I wanted to do music, but had uh, wasn't really doing any music there. And so when Abby was yeah asked <laughs> if I could come and play music, she was like, yeah, so we're going to do this theatre show and then we're going to go to Edinburgh. And I was like, okay, why are we going to Edinburgh? What's, <laughs> what's, what's that all about? There? <laughs> but the um, funny thing is, the reason I'm laughing is because in that first show, we put Becky on a piano at the back of the room and she would play. And whenever she wasn't playing, she would put her hands down by her side and look down. <laughs> really know how else to handle musicians on stage so she would just go I'm not here don't look at me and I'm <laughs> off <laughs> particularly was, in the death scene <laughs> there was a point in that show where I had a cold towards the end of the Edinburgh run as I'm pretty sure everybody gets when you go to Edinburgh for a month for the first time but yeah the, I was just drip, dripping snot from oh. my nose but still was like I must stand still <laughs> so it was just dripping down <laughs> onto, onto the floor and it didn't wipe it I was like I must not move my hands there's a, there's a death scene happening I must, I must stay still <laughs> yeah and then the next show after that, I came to the front and I was talking to the audience as they came in. And right. yeah, there was definitely a development from that first show to the second of actually, I'm on stage and we can acknowledge that I'm on stage. Yeah, I don't yeah, just yeah. have to hide. I was also wearing all black in <laughs> the corner. Veil. Yeah, and a fascinator what in that first show. What year did you first go up to Edinburgh then? 2009. 2009. 2009. 10 yes. years ago. Wow. 10 year anniversary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So exciting. And so did you go up like consistently like... Um, then with Becky for the first few years yeah so we did uh, I think it was like four years in a mm-hmm. row and then did some other stuff and then came back with two-man show in, right. in 2016 but I only did the first two of those four years yeah and then I kind of went off and went did off some to be a musician be a session musician for mm. a little bit and see if that's what I wanted to do which mm. was for a bit and then yeah and then actually writing my own music and being able to create with these guys was yeah, dream kept drawing me back in. <laughs> mm. Oh, I love that origin story. <laughs> I guess like you, I feel like you started answering it, but like, um, I'm wondering like what drew you to devising and like what drew you to like making theatre that was physical and so musical rather than like making it in a more conventional sense, like rather than sort of sitting down at a desk, like with a laptop, like what was it that 
made you want to like make in this way? I think uh, what we wanted to do as performers, because we came to be makers after thinking we were going to be performers. Mm. So Mm. the things I liked to do when I was in youth theatre at home and then when I came to university was be in things where I could sing and dance and say things. Mm. But um, I didn't necessarily find lots of musicals in that very kind of conventional musical style that I wanted to be in. Mm. And then... Helen and I, when we went to Edinburgh with the show that we weren't very pleased with in our first year, (laughs) we saw a load of physical work that, and I hadn't seen that kind of work for ever. Um, There was a venue at that point, it was at St. Stephen's Church called the Aurora Nova, and they programmed just endless European and Russian physical work. And we just Mm. saw lots there and thought, the storytelling that people are doing with their bodies, completely nonverbal, is what's really exciting me more than anything else I'm seeing. And so the first show we made, I don't think had any text in it at all. I think it was, it was kind of mimey and dancey mm. um, because we kind of looked at the Russians and went, we want to do what they're doing. <laughs> and of course, we were nowhere, like we weren't trained to do what they were doing at all, but mm. we just threw ourselves at mm. it and started. And then we said, well, we want to sing as well. So we started adding in kind of languages as mm. we went on making work together and trying to find ways that they would fit. So it's almost like what you wanted to make sort of led how you would make it you like saw what you wanted to make or saw pieces of what you wanted yeah. to make well it's that it was so formal to begin with so now mm. our work is really driven by what it's about and we yeah. often start with that but to begin with we were doing stuff because we were thinking what do I want to do and be on stage mm. yeah um, and it was experimentation as well and like yeah university was the best place to do that because we had brilliant facilities and space and mm. I think yeah I think we really wanted to to play and experiment and I guess Mm. when I think back there was something about the idea of us doing a play that felt very conventional it actually Mm. feels less conventional now weirdly Mm. (laughs) somehow maybe just because of the journey we've been on yeah um and there would be something quite interesting about us doing that now because of where we've come from but at that point I think I would feel quite bored by that idea yeah and yeah just wanted to throw myself around with you and see see what happened I'm so interested in like because there's something so bold and brazen and brave about that and I'm just like (laughs) because especially like um re-encountering three sisters over the last like day or so like and like I love that song um this is my moment I just like (laughs) I found it really moving when I watched it and that feeling of feeling um kind of this weight of the canon and this like huge like kind of conventional theatre thing staring you in the face like what what gave you that license to make in that way like to not feel like I'm going to do something conventional like what because I think it's so difficult I think as a female maker or as a female playwright to kind of give yourself that permission and Mm. that license like yeah and I think it is it is hard actually I think particularly at the beginning because I think in our first few shows people gave us a lot of advice (laughs) about how to how to be and how to make a narrative that is Mm. successful and you know all of that stuff is really useful and in a way like it is really useful to know that so that you can kind of disobey that as Mm. well um but I'm trying to think now how we got to the point of going that doesn't matter anymore do you mean when we made three sisters or how we started yeah no way how you started like because it feels like that's been a part of your work from the get-go yeah Mm. and I I feel like we didn't really know that we couldn't do that. Mm. And I don't know why. (laughs) But also, when we were up in Hull making work in a drama department, 
the stakes, you know, they, they, the stakes feel high wherever you're at in your life. They mm. always do because that's always the kind of, you know, the newness feels high stakes. But we didn't see lots of theatre. Mm. I hadn't seen lots of theatre. Mm. And there were other people making work in the department that were making musicals or new writing. And it just felt like, well, we'll do this other thing. Why mm. not? Mm. And I didn't feel a huge pressure. Like the first time we made a show, we made it. And then someone, one of our friends who was the stage manager on it, who we still work with, said, why don't you apply to take it to the National Student Drama Festival? And so mm. we did. And then we went and we were like, oh. And then people said, oh, what you're doing, let me give you some advice, but also keep going. Mm. Um and it felt like it was almost making work in a bubble, in a vacuum, mm. that meant that we could make that decision. Mm. Because I know that when it, you know, through the shows that we've made, when we got to making Two Man Show and Three Sisters, it feels then scary to continue to make that unconventional choice, to mm. do things because you want to do them as a performer. Mm. But that's because I now don't exist in a vacuum. I see mm. theatre all the time. I know the context I'm making work in, and that mm. is that people make choices because it's right for the play, because the work needs to be expressed like this. And mm. we're still going, at the beginning of a process, when we sit down together, Becky, what do you want to do in this show? Helen, what do you want to do in this show? Mm. I want to sing a really big, loud, <laughs> fuck off big song. And mm. I'll go, okay, so we know that at some point we want, we want to allow that to happen. Mm. And we often make pieces that are unrelated to each other. They're related by theme, Mm. but they're not necessarily in any order. And then we try to make a narrative that will uh, embrace all Hold of those it. things that we want to do. Mm. So, And I think there's something about the times when we've tried to like do the the right thing mm -hmm. or like or the conventional thing it hasn't worked mm. so actually the times when we've felt like we've been most true to what we're feeling and thinking even if that feels like a bit off the wall or a bit weird like two-man show for example we were really like people might hate this mm. we did we genuinely believe that they did that well, they might and, and that did. they yeah, and yeah, yeah and some definitely. people probably did mm. but but it felt like that show was quite a turning point for us in, mm. in terms of the way in which people responded to it generally. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess it's, it's because it's the thing that actually works for mm. us. And it's interesting that whole, like where we started at your whole university in like one particular studio that we used to work in a lot, like in a sense, we've always tried to kind of replicate that environment mm. in different ways. Like we used to work at the, hub um slung lows hub in leeds mm. and that has a very kind of underground feeling mm. like you're kind of slightly separate from the rest of the city when we've worked in bigger buildings we'd always much prefer to kind of be somewhere else mm, yeah. um, like when we work at the royal exchange we love being in swan street which mm -hmm. is separate from the theater building so you're always sort of like a bit on the edge mm. because there's something quite focusing about that I suppose that's so interesting I feel like there are so many things that I've taken from what you've said like one is a kind of like sort of consciously placing yourself in a fringe like in order to like protect the like kind of sanctity of your own voices like mm. and like keeping that up throughout your career is like really interesting but then also I kept coming back to the word indulgent when I was like thinking about your work and I remember I was making a show with a friend um, and it was about two like queer best friends who share a bedroom. And we were like, I want it to be really indulgent, but I also don't want it to be really boring. Um, but I think the permission for like female artists to be indulgent and to like do what they want is really exciting. And I feel like is like a really big part of your work, like indulgent in the best possible way. It's a scary word. I feel scared by it when you yeah. say it, because we talk about it a lot. We worry mm. about being navel-gazy, introspective, mm. indulgent. But I think 
that that is sort of introspective or like yeah navel gazing makes you think of like looking inwards whereas indulgent i think of virtuosic is the word that i would use to describe three sisters it's like here i am like here is the here are the heights of me here are the here's the amazing things that i can do like look at my talent look at me mm-hmm. <laughs> um and you've already started um answering this question like when you sort of were talking about like what do you want to do in this show but i'm interested in like what a process looks like like how do you make a show together it's really different every mm. time mm-hmm. every time we start and it really depends um what the show's about with three sisters we swam about in ideas for a really long time before we found any dramaturgical structure to hold all of the things that we'd been making Mm. and because we had this play this like canonical play (laughs) that we were like we want to be angry and violent (laughs) with this play Mm. um but also we were we wanted to go towards it because it felt like why would you take a play and then Mm. not not well, we, at one point we thought we might not read the play. We might try mm. and do Three Sisters because we've seen it at different points. Like mm. from memory is a kind of fuck you. Mm. Um, but then we decided to take all of the words from it, from all of the characters, just re- regardless of gender or mm. anything. And if any of the lines that anyone said resonated with us, we just took them. We're like, that's mm. mine. And then weave together the things that we wanted to say about our own lives mm. in and amongst the things that they say about their lives that are still true. Mm. Because one of the things people are always talking about with the canon is, you know, you can see yourself in it. You can find yourself in it. Mm. And you can't always. Mm. Sometimes there's too much crap. There's too much like old patriarchal baggage that mm. I do not want reenacted. It's mm. violent to reenact that over and over mm. again. So take the stuff that you like, because of course there are always some bits that are like mm. universal, mm. dangerous word, but mm. universal. And then everything else can fuck off, to mm. be honest. Um, and in yes, yeah, so it was kind of singing songs about our own lives, taking things that resonated from the play about our own lives and weaving them together. And that was deliberately indulgent because what we were doing was saying the canon isn't universal. The mm. canon is not for everyone. Mm. We'll take the bits that are, but it's not. And therefore we have to make it about us. Mm. And and that like, that relationship between yourselves, like, um, like it's like what you're saying about like taking bits that relate to your own life or like regardless of whether you're working with a text or whether you're kind of devising from scratch, are, are yourselves at the center of like your making process? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, most of the time. Mm. Even if it's true. Yeah, because for Two Man Show, there was a period of research at the beginning, right, Mm. where you were kind of looking at a lot of theory. Mm. But then I think the bits that resonated, and that really formed the show, but the bits that really resonate are the the bits sort of at the end where we were exploring our own masculinity and femininity. Mm. And I think the more we go towards ourselves in the piece, the more that it really resonates with other people, I Mm. think. That's the thing. It's always easier to talk about other people's work when talking about indulgence because we've just been because we're making our next show is going to be about motherhood. Mm. We've all read Motherhood by Sheila Hetty, and some people hate that book and they (laughs) say it's so indulgent. Mm. And in a way, it is. But also, the the amount that she's excavated her own experience and relationship with motherhood and her mother, I find really generous. Mm. But that's because it resonates with me. So indulgence, when it resonates with you, is such a generous thing. And when it doesn't, you just go, "Oh my god, shut up about yourself." Mm. And it really just depends about who meets us where and how in Mm. terms of whether that indulgence is okay, Mm. I think. And also we need each other as well to help each other out with that because Mm. I think sometimes 
you can feel what you're saying about yourself is indulgent mm. and then you need the other people to go, no, actually, that's really interesting. Mm. Or actually, that that bit does go too far and make, you, you know, so we, we, I think we sort of help each other find what is the the thing that, mm. that will that will resonate. Because mm. I think it, it like it, like with anything, it is a balance and it could tip over. Yeah. So it's like it's just finding that that sweet spot, I suppose. Mm. But then there's another interesting thing around like using autobiography on stage or even just like your feelings, even if it's not the details of your life. It's then really dangerous when people think that what you're doing is talking on behalf of all women, which mm. when you make work as a woman in a woman's body, yeah. people think you're trying to do. Yeah. And of course, we can't and don't. We speak for ourselves and we speak about the specific characters. But it feels dangerous when people start to say you're making shows about women or when people think we're going, this is what it means to be a woman. This is what it means to be me or Mm. this character that I've put a load of me into. Mm. Um, And I think that's, again, where using autobiography and that dangerous universal concept have a real dangerous meeting. Mm. What is the relationship between, like, yourself as, like... Abby, the performer, and like a character that you might put on. Like, because I, I read Two Man Show, which is like so fascinating. Like, I really love that. Like, if you look at the playtext, there's sketches where the movement um, sequences are, which is like just getting the like essence of it was really interesting. Um, but I'm just like really interested in like what what that relationship is and, and choosing to use narrative, like how that relates to that kind of selfhood at the center of your work. I think it does depend on the show mm. again. Um, yeah, I think that in Three Sisters, for example, it did feel like we were very much blending the two. Mm. So we each took some of the traits that we were interested in, in Olga, Masha and Arena, and then combined that with ourselves in mm-hmm. some way. But it, right. it was a kind of meeting point. And I think... For me, it definitely dipped in and out of whether I felt more Olga or more Helen Mm. in a moment. Mm. And I think when I was singing, I felt more me. Probably Mm. in the scenes, I felt more her. But it was always sort of a a blend of the two. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas Two Man Show, you're both playing men for a lot of the scenes. And I feel like you particularly playing John... You, you felt quite different in your life having to play John every night. Like you you took on a kind of, <laughs> I'm doing a physical gesture. <laughs> which I realize you can't hear, but yeah, a kind of a, a man, in it, I guess a, a gruffness. I don't know what the, what the word would be, but yeah, that you started, that John started to come into your life. And that rather comes through than, in the text as well, like yeah. the, the way that it sort of feels like there's a fine line between mm. John and Abby. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it pours both ways. You pour yourself into your... Like any actor, whether you're playing something that comes actually from your life mm. or whether you've come to a text that someone else has written, mm. you find a load of yourself in that person because that's... I mean, that's what I think lots of people's processes are. Mm. And you find a lot... That person wakes up a lot of things in you that you didn't necessarily know were there. Mm. And that can be a dangerous balance if you really, really, like if you really meet each other and, and are dangerous for each other. And whenever you are in a play, like it works on you. It it brings out stuff in you throughout the, the run and the rehearsal process that you just have to kind of work with and be light with and go towards if you're ready. Um, but I think I often find that when we start with autobiography, it's choosing bits of yourself that you want to know a bit more about or that you're disturbed by or Mm. excited by and going, I'm going to put that into a safer, into not me. I'm going to put that into a safer place to work with, which is someone else. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, 
how you generate text, like, and and also the fact that you're you're working with movement and composing, like, how like is the process of creating the text similar to the process of creating the songs and similar to creating like the movement sections, like. I don't even like to call them sections because they feel so integral, but you know. Again, it changes. Yeah. <laughs> it feels it feels like there is with the movement, there's a lot of play. So often the two of you will be doing some movement whilst I'll be making some music. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so to put it really elementally. Yes, yeah. I've I've started to try that. Um, but, but sometimes with writing music and with words there's a bit more squirreling away into a corner uh -huh. for small amounts of time so sometimes we might you know everybody might write some lyrics separately for a morning or something mm -hmm. and then I might take a set of lyrics go into a corner write a song come back with it present <laughs> um and then making harmonies we'd all kind of do that together and work mm -hmm. it together so there's yeah and it feels like with writing text as well there's moments of going away and writing on a laptop and then coming back and sharing and then editing and then yeah, so it feels like in and out of, I suppose, with the devising, mm. that sometimes we are all in the room, all doing one thing and focusing on one element, but that sometimes we do need little time separately. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it, and we, uh, I guess it was funny when you said earlier, talking about how we do what we want and how brazen that is. Mm. Like our rehearsal process is like that as well. And it's why it's why it's really easy when it's the three of us in a room. Mm. Because when you work with... Um, people who aren't used to your process your process i think our process can feel quite strange mm. and chaotic and chaotic because mm. what we do is we have a load of stuff in a room we have loads of costumes because we work with costume all the time mm. we have a lot of props um and they're kind of at the side of the space so we can bring them in as and when we want um but we do what we want so mm. in the morning we come in and we go oh, i really feel like singing today can we sing that song we learned the other day or mm. i've really felt like i had this dream last night and now i'm really ready mm. to write that song about that thing mm. or I really want to solve the problem of act four. Mm. So if you give me, like Helen, if you give me your notes on things that you want to say in the show, but if you also give me your notes on all of the things that you've taken from three sisters that you haven't said yet, mm -hmm. I will go away and I'll write act four. Mm -hmm. So then I'll go and sit in the corner and be like, hey, this is what they talk about in act four. That's a combination of all the things we've all talked about. Mm -hmm. While Helen is... Um, writing lyrics for a song. Writing lyrics for a song or learning lines or so we really we do what we want a lot and, it, <laughs> and of course yeah. we can't always because at some point you have to get your shit together mm. but um but it's really different from like we haven't done a huge amount of directing but we've directed a couple of shows and that process is entirely different mm. like it's not like we necessarily plan the whole day because stuff always changes but actually we do have to because obviously actors have call times and mm. you know you need to sort of know have your shit together a bit more so uh, when it's like a pure rash dash process, like some at certain points it can feel like a bit slow or a bit sort of wiggly, but but then sometimes things can happen like really, really quickly. Like we get on a roll and we're just sort of making, making, making. And yeah, it's it's a very different rhythm, I suppose. It's a much less of a consistent drive and more of a... I don't know how to describe it, it but like, like whirly. Just to say like... 
what what Ellen and Abby are doing in the house is sort of like fluid movement thing, which um, I listen to on here. But. but it also feels like the difference between, like, this is a really crass way of saying it, but head and body. Like, when you're directing mm. it, you can't feel what you want to do next. You're like, well, I know I've got Kate coming in at 12, so I'm mm. going to do that. And so you've got this, like, head-imposed day. Mm. Whereas when you're in one of our processes where we're not trying to manage a group of people, we're like... What do you fancy, guys? I fancy lunch. It's only 12, but let's take lunch. And then suddenly the, the afternoon is like, bam, 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 bam. We've done everything. So, mm. you know, that amazing thing in a process where the first half takes two weeks to make and the mm. second half takes two days to make. Because by that point, You're you've really got a feel right, for yeah. the languages of the show and, and how it all, how each part should knock into the next. Um, and the dream is to to get people to 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 work in that process with a with a bigger company mm. and we have done that with a slightly larger company and we hope that yeah. the, um well like with ugly sisters yeah. and with what else have we done that's like a few, well uh three sisters in fact we've, um, we've done it with musicians we've yeah. never done it with actors because right. actually musicians are much more used to in out chaotic rooms mm, whereas yeah. actually actors really expect cool times and structure yeah. and they've got lives outside of rehearsals which they need to get on with yeah. and musicians the next... don't have lives outside <laughs> 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 no apologies lives. I didn't mean to suggest that <laughs> but the next show that we'll make will um, yeah we'll have Abby's mum in it oh. so that's and I think you know we've only done a week on that show um, but I think that way of working will will work well with her because mm. obviously she knows Abby really well. <laughs> she actually knows me and Becky really well as well. So there's mm. a kind of understanding of this is going to be a bit, sometimes the day will sort of fall apart a bit and that's mm. okay. But also I don't think she'd call herself an actor in that, in that <laughs> way. <laughs> no, I guess She not. is going to perform in the show, yeah. but she runs her own company and has like her, she knows what it's like to, to manage a group of people, which mm. I think really helps. Yeah. There's something so interesting and like it sounds, and it's going to sound really obvious, but it sounds super like non-hierarchical. Like it's like, this is what I want to do. Let's all negotiate that amongst ourselves. Cool, we'll do that. But also it sounds like, like yeah, people from outside of that process, like I can't understand it maybe because, because it's chaotic and led by kind of what you want. Um, and I'm wondering like how much you feel like that's informed by your friendship, like the ability to work together and trust that process that can feel like you're not getting anywhere and then suddenly you are. Like how much, how much um, being friends helps your work? massively it's funny though because when I started coming in from the beginning of the so for the last couple of years I've been in from the beginning of the process which is unusual so normally I would come in at a later stage when the show is already kind of getting to be what it's going to be and then I'll add music into it mm. whereas yeah in the last couple of years I've been in much earlier and initially I did I did find it kind of I was like, what are we, what are we doing? What are we, <laughs> like, what is this? And I was, you know, I kind of was like, we're not achieved, we haven't achieved anything today, you know, and I, I'd get kind of, I wasn't used to that, to just letting it, there's a, you have to let go a lot, mm. actually. There's, I think if you come into the room thinking, right, I'm going to do this thing, um, it's not necessarily going to work like that. And as you say, it is more flowing and it ebbs, ebbs and flows. Um, and I now really like that and enjoy it and appreciate it but I, especially mm. when I first came in yeah I, I was like what but we're not, we haven't done anything like what's mm. what's going on and then suddenly you see all these strands yeah very quickly come together and go oh right okay all of that stuff that felt like we weren't doing anything actually all of that was doing mm. what it was to get to this point mm. um and I think I can still feel that 
like sometimes there can feel like a bit of an awkwardness with the thing of like, what do we do? Like if you don't come in with a real like strong feeling and that sort of gets less and less that the more that a project goes on. But I think at the beginning, it's still, it's not that it feels like entirely comfortable always. Mm. And sometimes I do still feel a bit like, what are we doing? Someone tell me what to do. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, but exactly what you say, you have to let go and then you'll, you'll find something if you, if you just ease into it. Do you ever work with a director or a dramaturg? Yeah, we do. Mm. Um, we've worked... Uh, Jude Christian was the dramaturg on uh, Three Sisters. Mm. Yeah. And that was... Yeah, and on The Darkest Corners, which was a big show oh. we made outside in a car park. And she's great because um, we share a load of taste and reference points, which is really useful. But mm. from the outside... She doesn't tell us what to do, but she takes us through really helpful processes as an actor, which is mm. great. Just have someone asking you questions that mm. you need you need someone to ask you. Um, and she also goes, this is what I think you're saying. Is that what you mean to say? Mm. Which is a fantastic thing for a maker who wants to make from the inside to have. Mm. Someone that they trust on the outside telling you what you're, what meaning you're making. Mm. Because you can't, you're not always completely in control of that. Mm. And it's amazing that she has the skills of a director and a dramaturg mm. because... Yeah, I mean, we totally rinsed both of them on Three Sisters. Like, <laughs> she definitely led the Three Sisters tech yeah. and really made it pop. And, you know, she's... she's Told the story. Yeah, yeah, and she's incredibly, incredibly skilled. Um, and, you know, gave a lot of notes during the tech and the previews and really, like, held the whole thing together. So that's been fantastic. We've also worked with Nina Steiger as a dramaturg as well um, on on one project, which was brilliant. Um, she was really brutal, which is exactly what we needed. <laughs> it was fantastic mm. I'm really intrigued like because you just mentioned tech like what a tech looks like when you don't have a dramaturg or dramaturg slash director mm. like how if you haven't got an outside person do you navigate that like yeah. mad stressful yeah. like, well, the two thing man show tech was kind of ridiculous in how relaxed it was mm. so we we work with Catherine Williams a lot as a lighting designer and that was actually the first time we'd worked with her, but we'd had so many really interesting dramaturgical conversations about the show because she's one of these lighting designers. I mean, I think a lot of lighting designers are like this, actually, but she has like so many other thoughts. Mm. Um, and, and we because it was a small company, we were able to really share them. And I mean, she really teched it actually mm. and we we kind of came out and looked at certain states at certain times but we kind of stayed performers within that mm. um and trusted her and trusted her because we built that relationship where we knew that she totally got the show mm. totally got what we were trying to do it was all about like we were naked in that show and we'd had a lot of conversations about how she was going to support mm. our bodies through that mm -hmm. um in really political conversations like you want to be kind on a body, but you don't always want, you don't want to go soft focus and sexy mm, with the body. Yeah. And, you know, really keeping the nakedness on our terms, not mm. on the audience's terms. And light has a massive part mm. to play in that. So because our values were so in line with each other in terms mm. of what we were saying together, we just went over to you, Catherine. And I think she loved that as well. Mm. So it's almost like, so long as you have like a deep understanding of like the political motives of what you're making, collaborators there's a fluidness of what their, their role, role can is. be yeah I think that's right and I think because like obviously sound is also like hugely important in a tech but mm. because Becky was providing all of the sound providing, <laughs> providing. and we <laughs> and we'd obviously like discovered 
pretty much all of that in rehearsal. So there wasn't a massive jump to tech. So we mm. were already like, the three of us already had a, a huge amount of like control over what that was. Mm. So, so that's a very different thing, I think, if you're teching a show where the sound comes in much later. Yeah. And like, how do you produce? Like you, you talk about sort of going to Edinburgh really early on in the company's life. Like how, how did you start producing your shows and getting the, the process of getting them staged? And how do you do it now? Mm. We've kind of gone in and out of different ways of working. So we've, the, the only producer we've worked with who's been a member of our company is uh, Charlotte Bennett, mm. um, who's you know, now... Paper, paper Sick. Yeah. yeah. She's um, a legend. Yeah. She is a legend. <laughs> and it was absolutely amazing having her in the company. Um, we, yeah, we worked together for a, a few years. And that was great. But we have, we've come in and out of, of that. So I think when Charlie left... I think I thought we will start working with someone else quite soon after, but we mm. actually haven't in a consistent way since then. We do work with Amy Letman quite mm. a lot, who runs Transform Festival in Leeds. Mm -hmm. And she, uh, The Darkest Corners was a big outdoor show that we made with Transform. So she very much produced that show. She also mm. produced Three Sisters. Mm. Um, but we do a lot of self-producing, really, mm. and collaborating with different producers as and mm. as and when that's really interesting I, I think I if I was listening to this I'd be quite surprised to hear that mm. why I don't know I think like because you're prolific I would say because you've made so many shows I think I'd expect you to have some kind of core mm. producing team maybe behind you I think you. we should yeah. Yeah. I think we have <clears throat> outrun our capacity to do this without a producer mm. yeah. because we want to make more and we also want to spend our time being good at making and performing mm. and actually um, we just didn't get funding for mm. a show that we want to make and it's because we were directing so many other shows last year that we didn't have time to produce the next show so although we got we, although we got partners on board and we got the funding application together, sometimes you don't get the funding and usually you would leave enough time to mm. resubmit the application so that you would get it in time to and make it. Arts Council. Yes, mm. the Arts Council funding. Mm. And we didn't. We didn't leave enough time and then we didn't get it. Mm. And also that we were writing the application in the evenings whilst directing another project. Um, in Norway, yeah. And that the funding for Three Sisters, we were writing that application whilst touring Two Man Show. So oh. writing an application in the daytime, then teching and then touring in an evening. And, mm. yeah. and there were times um, on stage in Two Man Show where I'd be... We in Glasgow and I was doing the show and by that point we knew it really well but I was dancing and something occurred to me that mm. I thought oh I've got to put that on the GFA application yeah. later <laughs> which is not where you want to be as I a performer or a producer well. mm. it's uh it's not it's not good um mm. but we haven't we haven't managed to find that person yet mm. that's going to come on and kind of be part of the family in the way that we are yeah. like obviously pay them <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's um, the other thing is finding the money for that person yeah, yeah exactly so one of the next things that we're going to be doing actually if anyone's listening yeah, is yeah. finding someone who wants to work with us in a more consistent way because actually we're really ambitious creatively but we're not as good at being strategic and ambitious in a producing mm. kind of way yeah. and that's a handful of people i might mention to you after <laughs> you? Yeah. absolutely <laughs> um that's so interesting because i think I think I might be really comfortable. It's really comforting for me to hear because like as somebody who's like sort of formed a company before and like worn loads of hats, you think that it's just you like slogging along and being weird and, and 
and it's really important to emphasize the ways that that's impressive and, and important and a huge part of how people make theater and get mm -hmm. it staged but also the ways that that can be difficult and like damaging well not damaging it's too strong a word but can affect the work and yeah. not being able to f just purely focus on the artistry yeah. can have an impact on things yeah I think yeah it's definitely both because in a sense it's really it's great to like have control and to know what's mm. going on and that kind of thing but you can still do that with a producer as yeah. long as you're having the right conversations at the right times and like really staying in the loop together yeah because it can be about control like you think you're like oh no I'm like putting myself in too many places because I have to and you sort of martyr yourself mm. but then actually sometimes you turn around you're like no it's because I want to write the copy because I want to write the marketing mm. yeah and I want it to say exactly what I think this show is mm. and especially when it's devised it's it feels harder to express to somebody else. So yeah, I think it, it's it's both a good thing to recognize in ourselves that like that can come from a place of control as well. Mm, yeah. But like also relinquishing that to somebody who gets you and, and maybe yes. has that and political understanding that means that you can collaborate. It's having the same values again. Yeah. It's that as long as everyone's really politically in tune, mm. you can kind of do anything together. Yeah. yeah. And it comes back to that friendship thing that you were asking about. And I think mm. it is really important that it's a friendship and a family. Mm. It's, it's not just a company. Mm. with kind of delineated roles but I guess it's, that must mean that it's kind of difficult to recruit too absolutely really, yeah. Yeah. yeah because it it you do have to be so in line. Up for a lot <laughs> yeah yeah and you know I'm, I can think of lots of producers that are probably going to be would be great but also I guess it's like signing up for quite a big undertaking yeah yeah like and you sort of do really need to get on I guess in your processes which is interesting mm. I'm gonna ask a question that I I'm intrigued by which is like what what do you find most difficult about devising? <laughs> Long so good. That's the most difficult thing about devising. There's a couple that initially spring to mind. I think sometimes starting is is mm. hard because of that thing I was mentioning earlier about the sort of the awkwardness sometimes of kind of going, is that when you can do anything, although mm. like by the time we get in a room, we do have there is a project, there is an idea, there is something. So, um, sorry, would you have had like a development week or are, are there R&D processes before? Sometimes, sometimes mm. not. Sometimes we'll have talked about a show for a year and so it's like the times that we're on the train together being like, oh, I just read this thing, which reminded mm. me of that thing. So we're kind of, because we spend a lot of time together as when we're working, not just as friends, mm. actually it's really hard to tell when we're working and when we're friends. Mm. Um, we will have talked about this kind of development that happens casually. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, not at all. And uh, yeah, I don't think this is always the case, but sometimes there is that kind of, is this the right thing to do or is that the right thing to do? Mm. And of course there probably isn't a right at that point, mm. but I think that first bit can feel quite uh, like a little bit nerve wracking, I suppose, because mm. you've got, you've got the whole thing ahead of you and you don't really know what it's going to be. Mm. But I think there's also, there's normally a point in our process where everything falls apart <clears throat> and we go, it doesn't, again, it doesn't always happen, but it's quite familiar where we go, oh, this is, there is something fundamental about this that isn't working. Mm. What has to change? And sometimes trying to find what has to change is 
painful. Mm. Did you have to kill your darlings? I'm going to say at this point that I love both of those moments. Ah! <laughs> I love starting. I love yeah. it when you can do anything because mm. it feels like the closer you get to performance, the smaller the show is. Because when you first mm. start, it is everything that you want it to be because it's nothing. Yeah. It is all of the things that you think you can say in an hour and a half or mm. however long. And I love keeping my arms that wide. Mm. And it makes me sad the, the closer we get to narrowing mm. down. I also really love that moment when things fall apart because that's when like dramaturg brain turns on and you're mm. like basically now the game is what is the formal structure which is as articulate as the things that we've made which says more than the sum of its parts and that is a good game I love that you go we've got all these bits but now we have to find a shape that says something even mm. if you put other things into those into that shape other content into that shape mm. it speaks and I that's that's one of my favorite bits it is really hard but it's that juicy, juicy knot. I feel I'm... exhilarated just when you're talking about it. I'm like, yes, get me in a room. Yeah. Let me the solve thing the problem. that I find really, really hard is a thing that Helen's really good at, mm. which is at the end. So previews. Mm. When you've been devising, but because I love starting and because I love the hard bit, by the time we get to previews, I'm done. <laughs> I'm <laughs> oh, like, yeah. I'm like, okay, now I just want to be a performer. Now I've, I've, we've got everything in place, and all of the finessing, all of the actually, we're not lining that up so it adds up in the right way. All of those like those things that you solve in tech and through previews. I don't have the stamina by mm. that point to carry on. Because you're just existing in it. Because I just want to check out of directing and making and I want to perform. I want to lose myself in it. Mm. Um, and I think that's a thing that Helen is like, that's where she gets her teeth stuck in. Mm. She's like, right, we need to, this needs to be two minutes longer. This We need to cut that line. We need to, and it's like all of that really precise. That's amazing that you have such clear different strengths, like knowing like, okay, I, I've got to tap out of this mindset and like you can sort of take over. Like knowing that sort of natural propensity to like... Mm. It's taking it. 10 years. We're, yeah. We're, yeah. So this is the first time we're saying this out loud <laughs> to yeah. each other. Oh yeah. I do think it goes in and out yeah, as well. Like it's, it's sort of less clear cut than yeah, that as yeah, well. Yeah. Mm. Because I think that... Because I totally know what you mean about actually finding that bit when everything falls apart quite juicy. And I think I can yeah. find that too, but I'm also just remembering the times where we've like stopped rehearsals basically, mm. like we've like gone to bed and just like like you, mm. you know what I mean a kind of a kind of like everything stops and everything feels quite uh I don't know motionless mm. but it's not <laughs> it's not because like suddenly that's when all of the external stuff happens but inside your body you're like this is over there this is moving here I'm gonna put this there I'm gonna move that over there and so it feels like a very frenetic time to me mm. because it's like vibrating mm. yeah yeah, I right. do know what you mean. But it's a different but emotional think, yeah, response yeah, 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 to the yeah, same yeah. thing. Well, yeah. probably we're saying that externally, this looks like lots of pieces of paper on the floor <laughs> yeah. Yeah. moving around, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, moving yeah. parts. I, one thing that I'm like really intrigued by, because we've talked a lot about friendship and like how kind of core that is to being able to make the work in the way that you do and that trust that you need. But I'm also interested in like the ways that it can be difficult when you're devising. Cause I, I think I found that a bit like when I've, I've been devising, I find like caring so deeply about the person that I'm working with doesn't get in the way necessarily, but I find that sometimes difficult to navigate and negotiate around. Like, do you mm, ever find that? I actually think the hardest thing about it, I wonder what you'll think about this. <laughs> um, but the hardest thing about it, like, I obviously do care really deeply about these people, but sometimes I take that for granted. Mm. And I think I can expect too much of someone because I know what I think they can do mm. or because I know about their life. Mm. So it's more about going, 
that you're dealing with a certain issue that isn't pressing my buttons, but because it's not pressing my buttons and I know you two really well, I assume it's not pressing yours either. Mm. And that's a really dangerous assumption to make mm. that people are not necessarily all okay at the same time. Yeah, so it's yeah. almost like you feel so connected to exactly. them that you feel like you all feel the same way. Exactly. That's and really that's a really dangerous assumption. Do you ever like check in? Is that a part of your yeah. process? Yeah. Yeah. And we I think did we're getting in the last process. better at that because I think all three of us have a propensity to just plough Mm. through like go forward keep going like being like i'm fine it's fine it's all good mm. whereas usually that means that at least one of us will break down at some point in the process <laughs> and go and just cry mm-hmm. and everyone will be like wait a minute what's what's happened we haven't yeah realized why this is but something's built up i feel like i should just explain what a check-in is mm. um for anyone who doesn't know so a check-in is basically at the start often with devising companies the start of rehearsals maybe at the end as well you sort of check in and you sort of like it's a kind of how are you and like everybody so everyone knows you know say if like your granddad died last night like you're not coming into the room not knowing that so that if you're sort of having to put your heart on the table for your work that's uh yeah your emotions are kind of in jeopardy and then Mm. maybe at the end you check out and sort of say this is how i'm feeling now Mm. but also that when you make autobiographical work a check-in is confusing Mm. because you start by saying you know this is what's going on for me right now and then you go which i think is really relevant because it's (laughs) true and so the line the line it's not yeah it's it's always blurred and we always have to be careful with each other like that Mm. and i must say that working together as friends if anyone is not okay everything stops mm. yeah we never plow on we never go could you take this outside the room please oh, God, no. it's um it uh, we it do take work. we do take each other like really seriously in that way and if someone needs to stop the afternoon is over mm. that's it like we will go to the park and talk to that person mm. and you know mm. that that's a really special thing again i think about working as friends mm. which i think feels also linked to like that non-hierarchical and like unconventional way of working where where it's like it's not professional in inverted commas it's not like put away your feelings leave them outside the door it's mm-hmm. like we are human beings we are whole human beings in this space and whatever you're going through ha- like is can't be ignored and, and lives and exists within this space as well yeah and it's been interesting recently because i now have a daughter mm. and uh, she's been <laughs> so in funny the... you say that. <laughs> <laughs> but she's been in the rehearsal room with us so when we started this process uh for the show about motherhood mm-hmm. um Part of it was, you know, I'm going to try and make this show with a baby. And Mm. is that going to be possible? Mm. And already we've learned so much. But in that first week in the room, really her needs were primary mm. you know for, for if if she needed something then obviously I would you know sometimes I could take her out of the room if I knew that's what she needed but if what she needed was you know to be the center of attention for a moment then mm. that would happen mm. and actually it's really interesting to start yeah seeing how that affects what we can do because sometimes that's limiting actually mm. you know and realizing in that first week actually I can't dive in mm. as much as I would normally be able to because I'm looking after you know Grace. Mm. Mm. um but yeah so that's another it's just an, another layer of kind of working that we're now coming mm. to mm. And, and how that affects the process. There's a real thing about time there. So our processes have been quite short. We'll make mm. a show from start to finish in seven weeks with mm. a week off in the middle. So that mm-hmm. seven weeks includes a week of percolating time. Mm. That's really quick to go from there's not even a script mm. or, you know, there's, there's copy at the mm-hmm. beginning. Um, and if you take an afternoon because someone's exploded, um, where do you get that afternoon back? Mm. And the thing is, because we're a company, because of how we work, 
we do stuff in the evening. We'll write in the evening. Like mm. you can't necessarily do that if you're working within equity hours. So mm. that's another thing that's really different about when you open the process up to other people that don't necessarily want to have that kind of relationship with their work. Because mm. so it's intense. It is intense. Mm. And it's because we want to do that together mm. that that's okay. But it's another reason that it's really hard to open up Mm-hmm. the kind of show in like two man show or three sisters are particular kinds of shows mm-hmm. and we make other kinds of shows with other people but how do we bring people in and go what's your autobiography what's your autobiography what do you want to say what do you want to do as a performer what do you fancy doing this afternoon mm-hmm. that that is is involved without uh, taking advantage of someone or making them mm-hmm. putting them in a process that they are not up for it's also really good to hear about um, how long the rehearsal process is. I don't yeah. think like mm-hmm. that was a question that I asked, which I think would have been helpful. But like that is quite a long time, like for most companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, does I imagine that might affect like funding as well? Like, yeah. and I'm just wondering, it, like, if you found that difficult to be able to get that space, like, to get that amount of time. Yeah, but I mean that does include tech. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's not that much time mm-hmm. um, because that's. Because that is the writing process as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess if we were doing that in a different way, there would be, yeah, a, a time for, yeah, a commission, a time yeah. for writing, and then a time for rehearsal, which would right. probably be four weeks in this country. So mm. it's only actually adding on a couple of weeks and maybe a week for development. Right, right. But it ends up being a lot cheaper to make a show mm. because we're doing everything all at once rather than this person gets six grand commission for a full length play mm-hmm. and then you do a week of development and then you do this like it all happens back at once mm-hmm. yeah, um, and, and also, yeah, the, the writing fee and the performing fee are all <laughs> the same right. so we don't get any you know each of us are doing quite a few roles yeah. but we just get the performer that's pay basically that's interesting. and it's not great either but that is because <laughs> it's hard to ask for more money yeah. Yeah. well that would yeah that would be, make it prohibitively expensive mm. or, and and which is kind of yeah it's just one of those things it would be perfectly reasonable to pay ourselves more but we mm. just wouldn't get the money so there yeah. would be no point in writing that application which is a shame because i mean because you you all do so much like you arguably deserve like to be remunerated for all of the many different ways that you work on something and and so i guess the way that it works is that you you kind of smush all of it together like which maybe doesn't pay you the dues that you deserve i don't know I mean, it's really hard to talk about like what you deserve isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah we you know we work for 500 pounds a week and we're doing mm. producing and writing and mm. you know we write them theme tune we sing the theme mm-hmm. tune but um that's that's all we can ask for from the arts council plus the partners that we're working with mm. because anything else they won't give it to us, I think, mm. because of the number of audiences that we can reach with a studio show. So mm. if we were making bigger shows, maybe that budget could be a bit bigger. But mm. at the moment, there's, there's got to be, you know, the way that it works is there's a ratio between the, num- the amount that you can ask for for a project mm. and the number of people that are likely to see that because mm. the Arts Council is subsidising mm. Those, those people seeing that show. I'm really grateful to you for like naming the amount as well. I think that's so, <laughs> yeah. it's so important. Like I think sometimes people who work in theatre in England can be too um, uh, prissy or protective about like figures, like we get awkward about money, but that's so important. And like one thing that I think is really important to ask like people who come on the podcast is like, do you make a living outside of the 
company? Like, do you need to like take on other jobs? And like, what are they? Like, how do you support yourself? Especially if you're producing it as well. Mm-hmm. How do you support yourself around it? We, we sometimes take on other jobs. Mm. Um, but generally what we do is we try and make it work within our kind of company funds. So mm. for example, if a show goes well, we'll make a bit of money on the box office. Mm-hmm. And then we can use that to kind of sustain us in the periods where we're not making a show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that is quite a precarious way to live. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about the £500 a week is... It's not very much. It's not mm. very much and it's not very sustainable. Mm. Um, and I think the sustainability is something that is really concerning us at the moment mm. about how we go on to live this life that we've lived through our 20s. Mm. And, you know, it's only in recent years as well, like very recent years that we've been able to consistently pay ourselves. Mm. So, but what happens when, well, Becky's already got a family. Mm. What happens when we one day hopefully have families? And mm. it's, it becomes quite a different question. So, so you, you don't have any core funding. I say that, I don't really know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that it's yeah. something that some people have that some people, changes things. Some people are an NPO, which is a national portfolio organisation. Mm. And that means they get a certain amount of money from the Arts Council every year for four years. Mm -hmm. And then they will um, use that money to run the company, but they'll also use it as leverage to get um, commissions and Mm. uh, extra funding from other funding bodies so Mm. that you make up the the full year budget with Mm. some Arts Council core funding and then some other funding from other places as well. Mm -hmm. And we do not have core funding. We get project by project funding, Mm. which is precarious. And we decided to do it for a while because... There's um, have, being an MPO is quite cumbersome in terms mm. of your administration, your organisation, who works for you, how you keep up with what the Arts Council need from you in terms of documentation, policies, mm. all of that stuff. Um, and we wanted to be, well, you also have to think of projects a lot further in advance than we mm. wanted to. You have to know what you're making in year four-ish. Wow. So we don't work like that at the yeah. moment. We're going to have to compromise at some point because we're not stable enough for mm. the lives that we want to start living yeah. as people. Uh, you know, our company can't sustain that. Mm. Um, but generally we have an idea and we want to make it in nine months and that is precarious. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when we, when other work is offered to us and we can do it, we will take that in order Mm. to kind of boost our incomes and boost the the company. But that like, um, is that like theater work? Is that like, you know, working in pubs? Like what kind of is, are you able to say, I do other work, but it's usually creative and like... It's workshops. Yeah, it's workshops Mm, and like mm. occasionally a random thing will happen. So uh, we did voiceover work on a PlayStation game like recently and that was amazing because Mm. it's a very different world. Mm. (laughs) And so the fees are much higher and Mm. yeah. So a little thing like that, that actually is a comparatively like very short amount of time and just a really fun and different thing. Mm. But you know, that that was a, a random occasion and that's not a kind of a regular thing but usually that work comes through rush dash so the reason we did that voiceover work is because um ninja theory wanted um they were recording on a binaural microphone and they Mm. wanted um, a physicality to the voice so we were actually wrestling each other whilst speaking and it was something it was because we were a physical theater company that they approached us Mm. um and the same with workshops we do workshops that are kind of about our approach to making physical theater Mm. or how to start how to start with nothing mm. um and we'd like to do some residencies as well mm. which we will sort of set up which yeah. will be more of like 
a week long thing where people can come and and make something with us basically I in a kind of rush dash process. <laughs> I would drop anything I was doing and, and do that. It'd be really fun to have you in the room. I'd oh really like that. Yeah. <laughs> I would die. <laughs> I'd probably just Don't like stand die. in the corner like, oh my God, this is the best. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's so helpful. I think it's just so important to know because I don't I like you know looking at your work incredible website guys it's incredible thank um, you it's so great I love it we made but ourselves like, <laughs> really yes. it's so good I love the oh mother image it's stunning um but you I think when you look at I guess it's probably like a probably partly like informed by the sort of social media age like the sort of exterior always looks like impenetrably geniusly glossy like there's no way that you have to do anything else and so yeah I think I'd I'm quite I, I would be listening to this quite surprised like to hear that that was scrabbling yeah. scrabbling <laughs> yeah and I think that when I find this out about other companies I always mm. assume other companies are really you know sorted and mm. they all mm. have lots of money and mm. they apply in time and it, it's it, it's different yeah and then you kind of the more you talk to people the more you realize that so many people are in the same boat yeah and doing the same thing it's that calm on the surface pan, uh, paddling yeah. frantically yeah. underneath yeah. but actually we haven't done a job that isn't related to theatre or creativity in some way since the first year after we left uni which was 2010 but that is because we have lived so incredibly frugally Mm. (laughs) like that wasn't always you know we weren't always on 500 pounds a week from that time we just managed to because it took so much time Mm. to get this company off the ground and how many things we were doing completely unpaid for a while Mm. Um, we were we were living on very little, and I live in London, so I can't afford really to live on much less than I'm making now. Because mm-hmm. we also we don't take paid holiday, so when I'm mm. not working, I'm not getting paid, mm. which is again really not practical. Yeah. 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 And did you live up in Leeds when it started as well? So we that did. kind of cut, saved. Yeah. yeah. I mean, living in ridiculously. And when I look London. back now, I'm kind of like I just don't know if Rush Dash would have survived if we mm. had moved to London after Hull. Like we decided to move to Leeds because we wanted to stay in the north and we wanted to be somewhere that was a bit cheaper. And also we'd met Alan Lane at the National Student Drama Festival and he'd kind of said, I'm starting this space in Leeds and you could come and be a part of that. So we were kind of like, yes, please. So Alan Lane um, runs Slung Low and they're an organisation still based up in Leeds. Cool. But, um, but yeah, without that flexibility of cheap rent mm. and I mean, yes, I guess that's that's basically what it is and also just like if we'd been in London I think we would have been surrounded by lots of our peers yeah and and again we were doing that thing of like slightly on the fringe and it just being the two of us we worked in the same bar did like the same shifts lived (laughs) together just the two of Mm. us and kind of did rush dash stuff during the day so it was quite a strange existence for a while (laughs) but it did mean that the company got started because that's what that was all there was yeah I these two questions I'll ask they feel quite linked but like and I'm sort of changing the order based on what we've just been talking about but like what what does success look like for you guys like so interesting mm. because because of the moment we're in where we're kind of saying our organization our abilities as producers aren't really supporting the work mm. that we want to make quite right but also we, it's really important to us that the prestige of the venue or the mm. partner that we're making it with isn't necessarily 
synonymous with making the work that you're most proud of. Mm. Um, so you can be making a show that hardly anyone will see in mm. a kind of weird attic somewhere. And it can be the work that you think is your most successful work mm. because it is the most what you want to say. Mm. Um, and I think I think that's probably how we feel about it in terms of the work that we're making. Like, is this really what we mean? Mm. And are we all mm. feeling really... Uh, expressed and juicy in the performance mm. are we feeling really in the center of what we're saying and what we're doing but in terms of success as an organization I don't think we are super successful at the moment because mm. we need to be talking to partners more partners further in advance of the shows that we're making and setting up those relationships and um, being more stable to serve us all in terms of the lives that we're leading and what we need from the company as people, not just as performers. That's fascinating. It's a fascinating way of thinking about success because it is so inside the company. Like it's not about how it looks because to me, you're so successful because you make incredible work in like incredible buildings. And like it's both linked to the sort of prestige of the building, but also how good the work is. Um, and that's so interesting, like from what you say, because it's like it's about how how to build a life like how to like have a life around like making that work and I think that's such an important and mature way of thinking about it's recent because suddenly Mm. our lives are requiring different and more things for us because uh Helen's 32 and we're both 31 and life just changes Mm. your friends all earn more money than they did when you were 25 (laughs) and they can do things that you want to do too yeah there is career progression in a way that they isn't so much for us like we sort of go up and down and up and down in terms of what you might define as progression Mm. hopefully we're always progressing as artists but again it's a totally different uh way of looking at things Mm. to a normal career um but yeah I think success to me also means the relationship that audiences have with our work Mm. as well and I think sometimes when we're in the process of making you have to kind of forget about audience a a bit Mm. in Mm. order to go like to stay really true to the thing and not sort of second guess and not worry too much Mm. but it means a huge amount to all of us I think the relationship that audiences have with the work and Mm. whether they respond to it or not. We were talking um, before we came into the studio about um, (laughs) Abby said she saw me in the audience watching three sisters and that I was like leaning forward in my chair and like grinning like (laughs) desperately throughout the whole thing so I feel like that feels like one image of success like an absolute freak fan I mean (laughs) that means everything really when you're doing a show and you can feel that because of course like that's why we do theatre for Mm. for that like live relationship lean in when that gets when that's right and when it feels like something sparking there's no other feeling that compares to that and it feels like three sisters at the yard was a particular time of it felt like the audience was really buzzing Mm. like every time they came there was just so much like energy coming out of the room yeah. afterwards that it felt yeah like we'd really succeeded. succeeded in yeah in inspiring everyone mm. and I guess <laughs> it's more confusing but like, <laughs> I feel like in lots of the questions I've asked you've it, you've always kind of well, often answered like it depends on the project and I guess like you know we're talking about success as a company but like from project to project you're always thinking about how a project has succeeded in its aims like there's nothing better than being like I want this show to make an audience think like this or feel like this or you know whatever and someone saying it back to you without you prompting them exactly what I've I felt that before like someone's been like it felt made feel like this and you're like oh I said that on day one that's what I wanted that's amazing so yeah Yeah, and some of the Twitter responses to that show were yeah really great but it's really funny because Twitter you know it's Mm. it can it can feel quite superficial like it's it's a kind of weird beast but when you come out of a show and someone says 
uh, I just saw this show and it made me feel powerful and like I want to take my top off and run down the street. You just mm. think that's yes, good. Yeah. I want that. I yeah. want that for us all. Yeah. Um, so that they are really special. Mm. Yeah. And on the other side of that coin, like when things are difficult, when it's like you're you're juggling so much and that precarity that we're talking about, like how do you motivate yourselves? How do you say state like yeah? How do you take care of your mental health within this? Mad. Yeah, it's interesting that because I was talking to one of my friends the other night and I I was explaining about our current funding situation and she just went, God, it's non-stop, isn't it? <laughs> she was like, sometimes I bet you just want to stop and mm-hmm. just like leave it for a while. And I was really like, I didn't actually say anything. <laughs> I was just kind of like, no. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I like, no, I, d- I don't want to stop. Um, because I don't know, there's something... I suppose there's something motivating sometimes about hitting rock bottom as well. Mm. Not that I actually feel like we've hit rock bottom, but like we've had a dip for Mm. sure. And it's been quite a confusing, turbulent time. Mm. But like the need and necessity to sort of pull yourself out of that can Mm. be quite motivating. But I think I'm massively motivated by you two as Mm. well. And I think that if I wasn't in a company and I applied for a project on my own and I didn't get funding, I probably would just sort of go, actually, I'd this isn't great for me right now because you know it does knock your confidence Mm. and I think I have felt my confidence feel be knocked by by this because suddenly you feel like no one cares if we do this or not Mm. no one wants to see our shows no like we're just in a room like doing what we do but without a specific outcome Mm. and it can feel very rocky Mm. but I think it's yeah it's working with you two that that gives me confidence and and sort of continues that motivation to to keep going that's really beautiful and like when I was looking at your website in all of your like about me it's like when it was sort of like introducing you all you all talked about each other which I just think and I was thinking a lot about um three sisters but also the fact that you did a show called the ugly sisters like um not what is that what they're called yeah yeah Yeah. um just sisterhood feeling really a part of that because I guess Obviously, there's a podcast that's interviewing makers, but also like playwrights. And I think the thing I struggle with when you're like writing alone in a room is like being alone is what makes it hard to motivate yourself. Mm. But having other people who share values and that you're friends with that you make with. Yeah, because when we get to this moment, I think you're right that there's this, this knock in your confidence where you go, why should I get to do this? Why should anyone care what I've mm. got to say? But then I look at Becky and Helen and I'm like, well, I, I really care what you've got to say and what you say really resonates with me. And so I really want to facilitate you guys making work. And obviously I want to be a part of that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's I think you're right. That that togetherness is really important. And I think in some ways that's really good because you're taking. Yeah, sisterhood is good. But in some ways it reveals a basic um I guess lack of lack of confidence in what you've got to say. Like mm. there's that we did definitely do struggle with that and kind of going, I, I you know having the desire to be a good girl mm. and then and actually there's something not so um, delightful and and cute and good about being like fuck we've hit rock bottom we need to mm. we need to I, I you know I do want this this opportunity I'm going to take it I'm going to go for it I'm going to go back for that money I'm going to make mm. something that's really loud and as you say brazen and indulgent like mm. why should I why should I get to do that mm. um so there's there is that war and I think that seeking inspiration in each other is really good but it would also be good if we could also believe a bit more in ourselves mm. because we don't want to be crutches to each other we want to be yeah. inspirations to each other yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I, it's sort of like, I guess it's like in the wake of that very recent rejection, mm. there's no way that you could be that person, but I'm certain that you all are. <laughs> like, I mean, just from having watched your work, I'm certain that you all are. But it's like, I guess it's great to have both, like both the like, because I just remember that moment we all kind of like held each other and like leaned on each other in Three Sisters. It's like, it's about working together in sisterhood, but it's also about like that individuality and that brazen mm. belief in yourself as well. And like being able to combine them together makes you unstoppable. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um, my final question is um, what inspires you and like what are you excited about making in the future? That could be like the like recent future, like with the next show that you're going to make, like hopefully next time getting the funding or beyond, well beyond. We're going to make a short film, mm. which feels really exciting because it's just a totally different medium and totally mm. different way of working and way of thinking. And I think there's so much to learn. I think we learn more and the more we kind of look into the idea that we're working on, we learn more and more each time. Mm. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about finding out what that process is mm. um, because for a while we've been talking about wanting to work in different mediums mm. and I think when you start as a theatre company well you get used to working in that mode and, and you sort of know a bit about how it works and you find your partners and you know and we do love making theatre and working in theatre but um, but for a while we've been going wouldn't it be cool to be an arts company rather than a theatre company mm. and this is one of the first sort of proper forays into a different medium so mm. yeah. It also feels like musically, so Three Sisters, for the first time after we did the run of the show, we recorded the music properly, mm. well, home recorded, but spent a long time recording the music in a way that I think is the first time I've actually captured our songs on recording in mm. the way that I imagined them. Mm. <laughs> um, and that feels, it feels like doing that more as we go along and writing music and recording music and having things that people can, you know, listen to outside of a, you know, one night of theatre. Mm. Um yeah, it feels like doing more of that is really exciting, which again is another medium. And we've talked about photography as well, mm. potentially as, as another thing. Mm. Well, we really, like making show images, mm. our show images are really important mm. and we really like making them. Yeah. So mm. yeah, interested in what kind of images we can make mm. as well that are separate projects from a show. That's so exciting that like, like that answer about what you're excited about is beyond theatre. Like, mm. obviously still excited about theatre, but, like, there are different avenues or different ways that your work, that already feed into your work that you're excited about. Because mm. I, I loved, I watched the three different trailers for mm. Three Sisters, and I was like, they're all so different and so interesting. And, like, the ways in which your work can translate to, like, screen is really interesting. Mm. Yeah. I am also really excited about our next show. Yeah. Excited. It's like what everyone says, isn't it? It's like, I'm mm. excited to announce. <laughs> but um, I am excited. I'm excited mm. to make it because we did a week of development and it was really good and different. And this is the show where there's um, a jazz drummer and my mum and it's mm. about motherhood. And it was it was really nice to have other people in our process. You know, we talked about a lot about how difficult it is to open up one kind of our process to mm. other people. And the improvising that we were doing just in week one was really interesting. And having my mum in the room, she's a mover, she's a dancer. And so moving with someone who moves quite differently, but also she's 63, I want to say 63, am I right? 62. Mm -hmm. um, and moving with her body 
and her 62 year old body and also she's my mum all mm. of those things just I, I was finding and not, uh, other people moving with her as well it wasn't just about my relationship with her mm. um, was really exciting and new and I love new stuff because every time somebody comes into the room with a new physical sensibility, you get new vocabulary for yourself. Mm. And that's so nourishing. Um, and I also think, I think there's so much to say about being mummed and being a mum and the desire to or not that I'm just really excited mm. about digging into. I think there's loads. Yeah. That's amazing. I feel like one thing that you all talked about was like learning and like newness mm. and yeah. like you're not a company that's like... I could imagine ever being stale, like, because you're so excited about all that you can discover and all that you can say. Mm. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It's been really nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Making It. If you'd like to hear more, make sure to subscribe and leave us a cheeky five-star review. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Way, and you can book to see my debut play, The High Table, which will be on at the Bush Theatre in Shepherd's Bush from February the 8th. Making It is produced by Jane Ryan, edited and scored by Kazra Faruzia, photography by Jess Ravel, artwork by Theo Banner, and hosted by me, Temi Wilkie. The podcast is supported by the Bush Theatre and London Playwrights, and is a proud member of the One Fine Play Network.